Hello, hello, and welcome to our last episode on self-care with Saba Luri, founder of Take Root Therapy. It's a good chat about practicing generosity with yourself and creativity in life as we wrap up one of the most unique and unexpected years we won't soon forget. Wishing you and yours a happy holiday season and remainder of 2020, and I hope this episode is just what you need. sleeper and she still isn't a great sleeper um yeah I think they say for the first five years you don't really sleep yeah because even when they are sleeping you're kind of not yet wired to to go into the same kind of deep sleep right you have like your your like mama sensors kind exactly. of always operating just make exactly. listening in making sure everything's okay yeah <sighs> yeah the beauty of parenting <laughs> so um Okay, so take root therapy. Did you start it prior to having kids? Did your kids inspire you? How did we get there? Great question. Yeah, so I um, I began my career working at nonprofit mental health agencies, which was really incredible. The clients were amazing, um, and it also was very taxing. And the systems that are in place at some of the agencies don't necessarily support the clinicians. So you come in as an associate, you have to accrue 3,000 hours to become a licensed therapist in California. And, um, and the you know, like once you're done, somebody else will step in. There's tons of folks that are graduating that need hours that are happy to take your job. Um, but the focus isn't necessarily on the care of the clinicians. And I was working at these agencies and I wanted something different. So I began building my practice in the evenings and on weekends. Um, and it was coming along. It took me a couple of years. And then I finally decided to quit my full-time job. Um, I was also at that point contracting as a contract, I was a contract therapist at an intensive outpatient program. Um, but I finally decided to quit my job and I had been wanting, I've wanted to be a mother since I was, you know, five. Um, it just always been part of what I imagined in my future. And I'd also imagined that because I wanted it so badly that it would be very difficult. I didn't think that I would get pregnant very quickly. So we began trying um, and I got pregnant right when I quit my job. So, wow. um, which in some ways was, I, I feel so fortunate. And um, it was a lot to lose the security of having someone else, you know, paying me every two weeks and um, to be the person that was really responsible for having an income for myself. and contributing to our family. So I, I hired my first, at the time I was an associate, my first employee when I was pregnant, in part because I was really concerned about who, who was going to see my clients when I was out on leave, who was going to support them. I didn't want to just send them off to anyone. I wanted to make sure that I could oversee their work. Um, and I found an associate that I thought was phenomenal. She really was great. And I felt safe with her seeing my clients. And also she, I was able to refer clients to her because I was no longer going to take on new ones. And that helped us not lose money on the rent of, at that point I had two offices I was paying rent on. And I moved into one of them while pregnant. And the second one I moved into really so that she would have a space to see clients on, in the east side of LA. At the time we had a, an office on the west side and an office on the east side. And I was overdue with my first, she was two weeks late. And I was carrying furniture into the office and unrolling a rug and hanging curtains and hoping that this would induce labor. Um, it right. didn't, but it all kind of was happening at once. Building the business um, and having it really become 
a group practice happened right when I had my first kid. Wow. Wow. I feel like that's more often than not, that's kind of the story, right? Like everything just happens all at once and you just, it's sink or swim. You got to just figure it out. You specifically, what do you specialize in? Um, Good question. I work mostly with folks. I would say my specialty right now is folks that are really intelligent, really successful, cerebral, and who struggle with either loneliness or relationships. Um, So I help them develop those muscles and help them better understand their relationship with feelings, um, with people. And I also, for a long time, have worked with folks that are experiencing depression and anxiety and specifically, you know, more intense depression. So folks that are experiencing thoughts of suicide that are feeling somewhat worthless or hopeless. Those are the clients that I also enjoy working with. Are you noticing with 2020 that you are, that all of those very big feelings are heightened? Are you, are you getting more clients because of everything that has happened this year or your current clients? Are they, are their feelings more compounded? Are you seeing any effects of just the way that life has gone in 2020? Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone is struggling this year. Everyone is struggling this year. Um, It's a lot for people to hold. And I think we saw a big uptick in client calls after the 2016 election. Um, People were really struggling with with Trump being elected. And a lot of women were calling for support. And I think that this election cycle too this year has been really, really stressful. And that's been difficult for folks. But that, in in addition to the pandemic, in addition to in LA, there was a few months where everything was on fire. It's been a hard year. And so we've certainly seen a lot of folks that are needing support and also a lot of folks that don't have the financial means to access support. Um, We have clients that we've worked with for years that have lost their jobs or they've, they've been furloughed. So it's just been a lot to hold. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Specific to prenatal and, or rather pregnant and postpartum women, are you, are you seeing an uptick with them as well? Is the postpartum or even prenatal anxiety increasing among that group as well? I think, I think it was, I don't remember where I read it, but there was a really interesting article about the fact that like Expectant mothers and new mothers are so much more relaxed now because everyone's in quarantine anyway, so they're not going to work and they're just at home. And I was laughing as I was reading it because I was like, that's not, that's not reality. Like we have no support systems. And also I think many of us, there was a really, really staggering statistic that in October alone, nearly half a million women left the workforce. And that's not the half a million women did not leave the workforce by choice. It's okay. a matter of the fact that someone has to be at home with a baby, at home managing distance learning, you know, being able to provide for the children. So obviously that has a, a financial impact as well, with which has social impact or emotional impact on top of the fact that you're home and you're isolated and you're, you know, for those of us that want to be working, it's it's fulfilling in a way to be at home with our kids, but then in other ways, it's really not. So like, are you seeing the the effects of all of that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think in heterosexual couples, specifically the gender roles are suddenly become, becoming um, really profound <laughs> in ways that maybe there might've been more, we, we were seeing more progress, it seemed. And suddenly this year, we're kind of being thrust back in time and a lot of women are leaving, not by choice, as you were saying. Um, the pandemic is hitting women really hard. And I think, yeah, again, folks are really struggling with this. With regards to new moms or, or women that are pregnant, I, I think it's really specific to 
each individual person, how they're responding to pregnancy or birth during the pandemic. Um, but I do think the additional stressors of the financial components are there. The isolation is really difficult. Not even having a chance to go to a mommy and me class, say, to meet other parents. There, there's so much that we're not, we're not able to access that makes that first, that first year, the first few months, a bit easier. I think, yeah, I do think it's certainly having an impact on all of those pieces. Do you think, I'm sorry in advance because this question, I don't know has if it has an answer, <laughs> but do you think that there is one or like a small number of things that that specifically pregnant and postpartum people need right now? Or is it just like, you know, <laughs> depending on the person and you know, is there any one thing that could make it more manageable or what are you seeing? Right. I think in my experience personally, and then with a lot of folks that I know, both clients and with friends, um, especially with that first child, that first birth um, and the months that come after, there's a lot of loneliness, especially if you're the one that's caretaking, you're the primary caretaker to an infant. And this is pre-pandemic time I'm talking you are at home with this baby for hours and hours and hours. And if your partner's not there because they're the one that's at work and you're the primary caregiver, there's a lot that you're managing and it's exhausting and emotionally exhausting and your hormones are all over the place. It's a really difficult time. And I, again, in my own experience and talking to folks, like I think you would just wait if a friend that week was supposed to come by to visit you and visit the baby. You'd spend all week waiting for this friend and then say on the day of, they're like, oh, you know, I might be a few hours late or maybe I'm going to show up tomorrow. Um, that's what you were kind of counting on as your lifeline of human connection, of adult connection, of someone to help you maybe hold the baby so you can take a shower or you can make yourself a meal or eat a meal sitting down with a plate in front of you instead of trying to hold the baby while you're eating. Um, and I think in this moment, while in some ways I've heard from some clients who have had had a baby during the pandemic, that it's been really helpful to have their, their partners with them at home. And that that's something that they really come to value is being able to bond together, to share the responsibilities, to share all the child rearing. They aren't necessarily being afforded the other side of it, which is visits with friends, going to the park for a parent and me class. A lot of those things aren't on the table right now. And so the isolation in some ways can be even more challenging. So I think it's a lot to contend with. And I forgot your question. I'm so sorry. Can you that's, ask me? That's okay. I was basically just saying like, what is the biggest thing that they need right now? Is there one, is it, is it as simple as a one word or one thing answer, or is it really case by case? I mean, I think that so many things in life, with most things in life, it's case by case. I do think we, as human beings, need connection. And while we are bonding with infants, that is one type of connection. Um, having other people to connect with, too, can be really valuable. And having to, to find ways to do that. I think the one, the one word I've been coming back to myself and I've been encouraging clients to consider is creativity. So... We are not going to have access, like I was saying before, to the same things we would have in before times, um, which doesn't mean that we don't have the same needs. We still need to be soothed. We still need to feel connected. We still need to have novelty in our lives. 
And the question now becomes, how can we be creative in identifying opportunities for those things? And um, I, I was telling somebody recently that it, if I'm really, really hungry for something nourishing and I end up you know, eating like a iceberg lettuce and some carrots, I might be full, but I don't necessarily feel satisfied or as satisfied as I would have with a hearty soup or something. And it sometimes feels the same where I'm really missing a friend and maybe we FaceTime and it's lovely and it doesn't quite hit the spot, but it, it gives me something. So I think to validating those feelings of this isn't the same, it's not the same. And I still do need connection and I still do need novelty and I still need whatever else. So finding ways to be creative and getting those needs met. Yeah, that's good. Creativity is, that's a big one. We, I know it's definitely been a double-edged sword for us because on the one hand, my husband working from home, I'm at home working when I can, you know, Um, but managing the distance learning, managing having a newborn, trying to manage keeping dishes clean and also laundry getting done. I just did between yesterday and the day before I did 10 loads of laundry because it just had been piling up and piling up and piling up to the point that I was like every sheet, every towel, every sock, every, everything has been used and needs to be laundered. Um, so, you know, on the one hand, it's really great that we're all home together because there's, I feel like a level of bonding that we otherwise obviously would not be afforded. And for my husband, it's been really great for him to be able to be present and be interactive every day through this newborn phase, which has been really fun for him to be able to see all of the rapid growth that's happening instead of just getting pictures or getting videos about it while he's at work. Mm-hmm. And I think we've been able to fill in each other's gaps um, as much as we can during this time, which has also, I think, done a lot to sort of support our relationship and our marriage. And this is a time where marriages can sort of fall by the wayside because you're managing work and you're managing baby and you're doing all the stuff and you kind of don't get to connect. And we are able to connect because we're always together. Mm -hmm. Luckily, we enjoy each other's company so we don't want to kill each other um, most of the time. But the other side of it is, like you were saying, there's no social outlet. There's no being able to engage or interact with our friends. FaceTime is lovely. But, you know, if like I'm getting kind of tired of Zoom happy hours and it's just like it's nice. It's a better connection than nothing. But at the same time, I just want to be with those people, you know, our families all, all of our family, my family is in Oregon, my husband's family is in Pennsylvania and in New York. So like all of our families are out of state. So we're not getting any family bonding time with this newborn stage, which is really sad and weird and hard. And, and, you know, it's just so not obviously not what we envisioned. We found out we were pregnant in October of 2019. So obviously we had a very different plan for, for this stage in life. We were going to have part-time help and parents are going to be visiting and we were both going to be working full-time and out of the house and you know our older daughter was going to be learning to ski and we were going to be doing all of these things that just you know seem like another life at this point so it's really interesting to see for even as much um as much positivity as there can be in this situation also how how challenging it is. We also have a very good friend who has a nine month old. 
and um, they are not partnered. So they are parenting alone Mm -hmm. during all of this. Mm -hmm. And I just can't, I just can't imagine. I mean, I feel like it's hard enough for us. I can't imagine what it's like, you know, to, to truly have no support. Yeah. So it's just, I don't know. It's just tough. It's just tough times. It really is. And I, I think naming that is, is, has been for the past nine, 10 months too important in terms of allowing ourselves to acknowledge that. Um, I have a few friends as well who are um, solo parenting and I do think it's a lot. It's a lot. I don't know if we were meant to be, I don't believe we were meant to be in this alone. Um, and that's not to say that we, every family can come in every shape and size. And certainly there's beautiful space for, um, for folks who are independent and individually parenting. But I think we are meant to have our chosen families there. We're meant to have our, our friends show up when we need them to. And we're meant to, to share a lot of these things that we're now carrying alone. And I think it just is a very challenging experience to have. I will say that I I spoke to a friend of mine who's single and does not have kids. And her response is always, oh, I can't imagine what it would be like to be doing this with children. And I hear that. And I also think I can imagine what it would be like not to have someone to touch every day. Someone who needs me to hug them and and hold them and cuddle them. Um, And so I, I just think recognizing too how each of us may be in our own challenging situation that we're having to navigate. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge one. The touch thing is a huge one. I can't, uh, we were just talking to a friend yesterday who has been, you know, he's, he lives on his own and he's been isolated since March. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's the one thing that for him is just been I don't want to say it's all consuming but it's obviously a very big piece of why he's struggling so much mm-hmm. in quarantine is because he doesn't he can call us and we can have conversations on the phone and we can get together on zoom and watch a movie together on zoom but he has no one to hug to you know sit next to to anything it's just him no animals just him by himself day in and day out and I I Yeah, that's something I also can't imagine. It's so interesting. I feel like at this point, we've kind of, I don't want to say exhausted, but you know, the we've really driven home the idea that we're all struggling, but we're all in this together. And Mm -hmm. even though it's, I don't want to say that we're tired of hearing it, but even though it's, it's sort of becoming like this redundant thing that is repeated and repeated and repeated, I still feel like we need to hear it. And like, I feel like every day we just need a little more validation that like, yes, this shit is hard mm-hmm. and it's going to keep being hard. And tomorrow mm-hmm. we're going to talk about how it's hard too. But right. also, you know, there's some, there's some sort of, I guess it's misery loves company, right? At least we know we're not alone in the struggle. Are you noticing that, that partners and support systems are struggling as well? Absolutely. I think even in the most healthy relationship, we need space. Most of us, many of us need space, need alone time, need time to recover and need time with friends and we need time to explore what brings us joy outside of our relationship with a partner um and i think it's it's difficult and given how many feelings we're holding given the grief that we're managing given given the the fear that we're holding on a daily basis i think it it's not unusual for your partner or your support system to be what ends up um on the receiving end of our irritability, of our frustration, of our 
sadness and it can take a toll. Um, our partners are not meant to be everything and a single friend or two friends are not meant to be everything. And when we are put in this position where we just can't find other sources of support, it can be really difficult. So I'm, I'm seeing it with clients, I'm seeing it with friends and, and I'm hearing you know the other side too, which is, oh, we are able to connect more. There's more intimacy for some couples and that there's more vulnerability. They're really showing up for each other. But I do think that, that folks are, are being pushed and being stretched in ways they, they couldn't have imagined a year ago. Yeah, I, I definitely can agree with that. What about kids? Are you, what are you noticing with, with the kiddos with all of this? So I don't specialize in working with children. I work with adults myself. I can talk to you about my kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> and the kids that I see around. I, I, frankly, I think that kids are really resilient. And I think that it's really important the way that we communicate with them and that they also are going to respond to and read our fears and our anxieties, which isn't to say that we're going to pretend like that's not the case. We're not going to say to them, everything is fine when everything isn't fine. But I do think we can be intentional about the messages that we are giving them and making sure that they understand that we as caregivers, as parents are taking care of them and we're doing what we need to do to make sure that they are safe and that we are safe so that they don't need to hold that worry as well. But I do think that if they feel secure and that they know that the caregiver is going to be taking care of them and that they are safe, that they are able to be resilient. They can tolerate the frustrations in a, in a different way. And I do think that they're missing. I mean, I know that my kids are missing interactions with grandparents in person, with friends, with our neighbors. My older daughter will sit by the window and just yell hello at people as they walk by <laughs> because she just wants to engage with people. But I also see her even then being creative and how she's trying to, and she's gotten very good at FaceTiming with family and with classmates. And I do think they're resilient. I think this is taking a toll on them as it is on all of us. And it's really unfortunate. And if they know that we're handling it, that they are able to manage that and know that they can process those feelings with us too. That's a really good point. They really are looking to us to see whether or not it is manageable at this time, right? right. That's something that I have to continue to remind myself because my older daughter is a sponge. She is so perceptive. She is mm -hmm. so aware. She is so intuitive. You know, she can tell by the look on your face or by the way that you take an inhale, what you're feeling and she latches onto it. And especially now, because there's no, there's really no other outlet for her. So she's just, she's always been an empath, but, and I feel like this is, you know, an especially hard time for empaths, but mm -hmm. she, just absorbs and takes on everything that's happening. And so if I have a night where I only get, you know, a scattered two hours of sleep and then I'm trying to do work during the day and my husband's trying to help, but he has back-to-back -back meetings and my older daughter is trying to do distance learning, but she has a, an issue halfway through. I won't even find out about that issue until, you know, 5 PM. And I'll be like, Hey, you know, I'm here to help. You know, that's what I'm, that's, that's my primary job right now. So when you've got an issue, bring it to me so that I can help you so that you're not sitting for 20 minutes, not able to log into your class's Zoom link because there's a, a complication. She was like, well, I know you're really busy and I know you didn't sleep last night. And so I just don't, 
I don't want you to, I don't want to make things more stressful for you. And it's just, just like a dagger in the heart, you know, because I'm like, all I want to do is help her, but she's so aware and she's so in tune that she just right. doesn't want to, um, I don't know, add to the chaos, I guess. I think the really difficult thing there is the kind of relaying the message of, um, yeah, I am stressed and I can handle that. I'll take care of it. You don't need to worry about it. And it's a hard thing to get them to get. Um, mm -hmm. my, my daughter who was five said to me tonight, I'm sorry it was such a hard day today. And I'm <laughs> thank you, I'm okay. You know, she knows when I'm stressed and I'll tell her, mommy's really stressed right now. You know, I'm, ha I'm having a hard time with this or I'm really frustrated about this. She gets that, but I think the other side of it has to be, and, I, and I'm taking care of it. And here's how I'm taking care of it um, so that she can trust that she doesn't need to be taking that on too. Um, I, I really value in her that she is so empathic and that she's so caring. And I'm trying to create space for her to know that she doesn't need to take on my stuff in addition to her own stuff. Yeah, that's a conversation that I don't think we ever had prior to this year. Mm -hmm. And it is a conversation that we have had, I don't even know how many times since all this has started where, right. you know, she's trying to take care of things or she's trying to problem solve for me, or she's trying to, you know, relieve some of the burden. And she does it with, with my husband as well. And we mm -hmm. tell her, you know, don't worry about it. It's not yours to worry about. We've got this, we'll handle it. And her response is always, well, you take care of me. So I should be taking care of you too, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is, such a sweet and wonderful thought, but also, yeah. you know, it's just hard to, it's really hard to get her to be okay with just being the kid. Yeah. And of course I read way too much into everything. So I'm like, oh, she's going to resent me when she's grown up because she thought she had to take care of me because she thought she was responsible for my feelings, which of course more than likely will not be the case. Right. But, you know, trying to, trying to let her be carefree in yeah. this insane environment that we're all living in, I've found has been increasingly difficult. Right. I think it's holding both of those things that I really value this in her, that she is so caring. She's so conscientious. She's so, what, what a beautiful sentiment. You know, you take good care of me and I want to take care of you too. What a beautiful thing to have cultivated in her. Um, and still wanting to make sure that she has space and that she can come to you for help. It's such a tricky thing. And I don't know the right way of um, communicating that to her. I think it's just kind of reiterating it and maybe even being curious with her, you know, um, what are you worried about? You know, what are you worried about with me? What are you worried about what happened if you came to me and said, I can't figure this Zoom meeting out today um, to better understand Maybe what she's, what story she has in her head, how she's interpreting what's going on. Oh, interesting. That's a really good point. I think, um, I think it's hard because I know her so well. I can yeah. usually tell what the what the story is, but that's yeah. that's a really good point to let her put words to it so that I can truly understand it from her perspective instead of yeah. understanding what I know of her because those are not always the same thing. Parenting is so hard. Yeah, it, is. <laughs> it really is <laughs> and I think we're trying to do it so mindfully and we're trying to be so conscious and intentional which is incredible and wow is that 
not a lot of work. In addition to working a full-time job, in addition to parenting a five-month-old that you're doing, like you are, you're doing a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, being a stay-at-home mom was never something I felt was the right fit for me. And I never thought that being a stay-at-home mom was an easy job. I think there's a cliche out there that stay-at-home moms don't work which is absolutely outrageous. Right. But having been slightly forced <laughs> to live that life right now, mm -hmm. I I don't know how women do both. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm trying I'm I'm sort of like it's trial by fire a little bit. I'm struggling to do both, but I don't know how women successfully do both. It it's it is it truly is like having two full-time jobs. Like when are you yeah. supposed to yeah. sleep? When are you supposed to have time for yourself? When are you supposed to, like you said, be able to sit down with a plate in front of you and just focus on eating your food and just have that be the only thing that you're doing in that moment? Right. When are you supposed to be able to take a yoga class? When are you supposed to be able to, you know, anything really? Take a shower, go to the bathroom and close the door and not have somebody come in. Correct. <laughs> really? <laughs> like that is a luxury. It really is. And even with my husband home, it's still a luxury. I yeah. leave the door open. Sometimes I'll like put a towel on the bathroom floor and lay the baby down on the floor just so that I can go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. I'm like, mm -hmm. sorry, you're laying on the floor staring at me while I pee, but this is our life now. Right. So. I, I don't have any other options. <laughs> right. Um, I think about the women in the fifties the and how the trope is that, that speed was so popular. Yeah. And I get it. Like, yes. uh, you know, because the, how do you, how is one meant to, even not working at quote unquote outside of the home, working inside of the home, um, doing the 10 loads of laundry, doing the dishes, preparing meals, like how, how does one do all of that? Right. Yeah. Because even just managing being a parent during the day already doesn't leave me time to clean up after I make lunch or mm -hmm. to do like this big, you know, I made a, um, over the weekend, I made a pot roast and I was thinking as I was doing it, cause it really is fairly easy, right? Dump a bunch of stuff into an inst into a crock pot, plug it in, turn it on low and leave it alone. So like in theory, that should be the kind of thing that I could do during the week mm -hmm. and be able to just like walk away and then suddenly dinner's ready. But even that I don't have time for. I feel like every night we get to like six or seven o'clock and my husband and I look at each other like, oh shit, what are we doing for dinner? Right. <laughs> Without fail. You know, it's like this, every day is like this race to the end of the day. And then we get to the end of the day and we're like, what happened? How did we get here? But it's like Groundhog's Day. So we just do it over and over again. And sometimes I put real clothes on. Most of the time I don't. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting here at nine o'clock at night and I have I'm in my nursing bra and sweats and I'm mm -hmm. in a sweatshirt that I haven't even managed to take off yet, but it's got mm -hmm. like, I leaked through one side of it already. So I have a big milk stain on the left yeah. side and it smells terrible. I smell terrible. I haven't yeah. combed my hair today. <laughs> it's just, that's like what our daily normal is now, which yeah. is crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes sense. And just having compassion for yourself is so important because it is, it is your normal for now and it's for now. Right. Now it's like this. It's not always going to be like this. And, and both you, that you will always all be at home together and have this time together. And also you will always have days when you are leaking breast milk into a sweatshirt, you know, like this is all for now. I think that's um, a really important 
mantra for everyone to take into, you know, however long this phase of life is for all of us is that it is just for now. I think that the more we can remind ourselves of that, the less sort of all encompassing all of this feels, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think in the summer it felt a bit easier because we could see some of our old lives coming back. Yeah. And so it was easier to think, oh, this is for now. Right now it's like this because it the sudden like there's a thawing happening. But here we are in December and it looks like it's going to be a long few months. And I, I think a lot of us are reckoning with yet again, I don't know, for the hundredth time, what does it mean to be in this situation? And so trying to find ways to find to have hope and to, you know buoy yourself to support yourself in this period can be challenging definitely worthwhile but challenging um and i think before now if it's helpful use it you know (laughs) yeah yeah for sure do you think like you were saying summer was kind of this we in, in our house where we're all very not all of us but the adults are very pessimistic we like to call it the false sense of hope that we had over the summer where it was like, because the sun was out and, you know, you could be outside. Um, we were seeing friends. We were doing socially distanced park dates. We were having socially distanced barbecues on rooftops. We were, you know, I shouldn't say that we were doing that often. We did it twice. But, you know, like we were <laughs> we were still able to to sort of have some kind of interactive experience with friends and now we're Mm -hmm. we're back we're going into the winter and of course here in Seattle it's the winter is treacherous and it Mm -hmm. rains and it's gray and you can't go outside and that's that's our our future for at least the next couple of months um and and a lot of parts of the country are like that for different reasons right so it's not like in the midwest when they have 10 feet of snow people can go out and meet to go for a walk in the park so looking into the future (laughs) maybe not the the I don't know what's harder to envision actually the near future or the distant future I'm not sure but looking into the future as from your perspective are you able to see any ideas of the projected effects projected psychological effects of what this current state of the world is going to have on us Mm. That's a hard question to answer. Give me a second to think about it. I'll be curious to see. I I don't know if I feel confident in making any kind of big statements. I my I can tell you what I hope. I hope that we are able to really because I think so many folks are struggling with loneliness, and honestly, that's not totally new. We were experiencing loneliness prior to the pandemic. I think people are feeling it even more acutely right now. Um, but I think even though we had all of these new ways of connecting and people were on on social media and people were texting and, you know, um, in some ways we're more quote unquote connected than ever. We were experiencing this surge of loneliness. And I think now that we can really see how much we, we crave connection. We, we want to see our friends in person. We want to hug our friends and our loved ones. My hope is that given that we know what it's like to not have those options and those opportunities, that once this is over, once we are able to safely be with our friends and family and hug and hold our friends and family, that we'll do so. 
and that we will make it a priority to do so, which isn't necessarily, I, I don't know if that's what you were asking, but that's what I'm, I'm hoping that we'll, I, I've been wondering a lot about how we're going to use Zoom. And I think in some ways it has made connection more convenient, which is great. I think for folks that are accessing therapy, it really, in, in Los Angeles, it can be really difficult to get across town to your therapy session at a certain hour and there's traffic and it's difficult. And I found that even though I was not excited about doing all of my sessions remotely, it's been pretty effective. Um, and so that folks are able to access therapy that maybe wouldn't have before. I hope that we can still do that. Um, I've talked to my family and friends that are out of the country more than I would have, I think otherwise we've done more of these group Zooms than I would have if we weren't in a pandemic. I see them once a year. Um, so I'm hoping that we we can hold those things too while we're embracing our people um, that we can embrace. So I hope that those are changes that we see. Yeah, I really like that. I hope so too. I know that we are feeling desperate for our community, right? For our yeah. village. Yeah. Um, and I think that our priorities will definitely be shifting or maybe they already have shifted and they yeah. will, they will, we will be able to, um, put those priority shifts into action once all of this is over. And I definitely feel like it's going to be um, a much more connected future, at least for our family and, and really prioritizing. We've always been a social family. We've always been connected with our people, but I think even more like now more than ever, or, you know, the now that is after this more than ever were that, that connection and that, um, that maintaining or re-engaging with our village is going to be that much more important for the foreseeable future. Yeah. In the interest of, you know, staying sane to get us to that point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is, I feel like all the questions that I've asked you are very difficult questions. I know this one is also <laughs> not a single simple answer, but just in the interest of self-care, right? Because that's, what is so important right now. Um, and in the wellness industry, even prior to this, I feel like we were screaming self-care into a vacuum and people were like, yeah, 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 I'll get to it. But now more than ever, we're seeing how incredibly valuable it is, right? So in the interest of establishing some kind of self-care or revitalizing some, some kind of self-care for us, is there, what can we best, how can we best navigate through this trauma that our current world is right how what is what is the best way to just maintain I don't even know if saying some 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 sense of normalcy is possible but how do we just maintain a status quo that feels okay yeah. as we continue to go through this yeah I think my number one suggestion is to have compassion for yourself and I really appreciate that you named this as trauma I think so many people, um, you know, are frustrated that they're frustrated. Why am I struggling? Why am I so tired? Um, this shouldn't be so hard for me. You know, I have people say, well, I shouldn't complain or I can't complain. Um, and yet they are struggling. So I think giving yourself permission to recognize that this is trauma, that we are holding a lot, that we are <laughs> having to hold fear and in the sustained way of um, 
for your own health, for the health of your loved ones for nine or 10 months is very traumatic. Being confronted with, with our mortality on a daily basis is not something that we are accustomed to, especially in the US. We don't, we do everything that we can not to think about death. Um, people die behind closed doors in hospitals and we, we just try to pretend like it's not a thing that happens. And yet this year, also with the Black Lives Matter movement, we've really thought about and looked at death in a way that I don't, I don't know that we we have before. I don't know if I have before, I'll say that. So I do think in being able to recognize how much has changed for us, it can be helpful to then have compassion for yourself. The other week, maybe a month, a month and a half ago, two I don't even know anymore. A while ago, um, I was talking to my team about our holiday party and we typically have it in this really beautiful restaurant. We have a private room. For me, it's a really important tradition of honoring my, my team, the other therapists that work with me. And they work really hard and they're phenomenal clinicians. And it's a way of, of showing them my gratitude, of showing them my appreciation um, and celebrating them. And this year, you know, at the time, I thought we could potentially have our dinner outside, you know, at separate tables, would be together. And then we talked about, well, maybe we could do a picnic. So we settled on, oh, we'll have a picnic outside. We will all be at our own separate picnic blankets that are six feet apart, 10 feet apart from each other. And I would have food delivered and would drop it off to each picnic um, blanket, but it would be a way for us to be together. And then as November approached, it became less and less likely that that was a possibility. And when I had to release it with, okay, this isn't going to happen. I was so upset and I really wanted to tantrum. You know, I was so, (laughs) so sad and mad and giving myself permission to feel those feelings and be really disappointed, I think was really important. And then to recalibrate. So, okay, I'm letting myself feel, I'm acknowledging how I feel and what can I do and what do I need? I, I need to find some way to celebrate these people that I care about. I need to find some way to mark the end of the year. So, you know, going back to creativity, what we're doing now instead is I'll have dinner delivered to each of their homes and we I ordered a baking kit for each person where we're going to bake together, but separately. And that's our way of celebrating. It's not going to be the same. It's not going to be what I would have wanted. It's not my, you know, plan A or plan B or plan C, but it's the thing that's feasible right now and that will give me some of what I'm wanting. So yeah, I think in the interest of self-care, validating your own feelings, having compassion for yourself, and then being creative about having your needs met. Those would be the things that I would really recommend that I would encourage. I love that you said that. I think that's huge. We have so many friends that you know, we've been checking in with. And I think we were a little bit guilty of this too, in the beginning of being like, well, we haven't lost our job. We still have a roof over our heads. So, you know, we're fine, which is an important perspective, but at the same time, I am thankful every day that we still have a roof over our head, but that doesn't make what we're feeling or what we're dealing with right now any easier. Obviously it makes it easier because we have a roof over our head, but that doesn't, that doesn't cancel out everything else that's going on. So like, being able to, I don't know, I feel like we're trying to find this balance between privilege and also, I don't know, I don't know what the word would be, but like we we want to make sure that we don't seem too privileged, right? Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that we're not like, oh, everything's terrible, even though we still have our job and we still have our home and we haven't lost anything, right? But then 
even if it's not as terrible as stories that we're reading in the news, it's still our experience. And it, mm-hmm. and our experience is still different than what it was in December of 2019. And so we can be thankful and feel fortunate. And at the same time, look at each other and be like, yeah, this is actually really fucked up. And like, that's right. just what it is right now. Right. There's a distinction between gratitude and guilt. And I think we can practice gratitude. And, and I think it's really important for us to and um, feeling guilty about what you have isn't going to help anyone, certainly not you. Um, so being able to, to practice gratitude and also acknowledge our own struggling. There's no contest for who's struggling the most. Um, and we can certainly have compassion for our own experience and for others that are struggling and have additional challenges and have additional hurdles and that don't have the same privilege. We can have compassion and ideally that compassion translates to action. We can have all of those things. We can hold all of that. Yeah. I really like that. There's a difference between gratitude and guilt. That's really, I'm going to, I'm going to log that little nugget away for <laughs> later. I think that's really important to, to keep in mind. Do you have, while we're on the topic of self-care, any tips? I mean, I know you said compassion, right? Compassion is like the thing, but mm-hmm. are, are there any daily reminders that maybe you put into practice for yourself or daily exercises or like daily affirmations with our, with our older daughter. But is there any, are there any tips that, or, or basic practices that you utilize that you think people could benefit from on a whole, just something simple that can be implemented into the daily practice that just will maybe help to sort of lift things up a little bit? Yes. I can tell you one, (laughs) one, I think, Um, What works today may not work tomorrow. What works for me may not work for you. And what works for me today may not work for me. Yeah. Later today. So um, being really conscious of what do I need right now? And that might change. Um, Initially when this, when this all was starting and I I really laughed and I think, Oh, we thought it was going to be two weeks. We thought it was going to be two months. And here we are (laughs) months later. Um, it was like, just do what you got to do to take care of yourself. And, and I, and I still think that's true. And I also think I really struggled with people at the time saying, oh, you need structure in your day. You need structure in your day. And I was like, how do you know what I need? Yeah. You know, we've been through a pandemic before. How do you know what we need to get through a pandemic? And on the other side of it now, I can see how having some rituals have been helpful. Um, and some days I don't want rituals. So again, like tune into yourself and think about what it is that you may benefit from. For some, I think structure can be really helpful. For some, I think finding ways to be comfortable. Um, I'll, I'll try to explain that a bit more. When we thought it was going to be a few months, my partner was working at a folding table um, in our bedroom. That's where he was working from home um, from, and he was really physically uncomfortable and it was really exhausting and it wasn't working, but we just thought this is temporary and it's fine. And then after, I don't know how many months we decided to buy him a desk because <laughs> the folding card table thing just wasn't cutting it. And he was in pain. He was in physical pain. So making the decision to prioritize, um, his needs and recognize, okay, you know, what, what do we need to adjust so that we can take care of ourselves as we acknowledge that this is not ending as quickly as we had hoped it would. So thinking about what you may need in your life and what 
adjustments you can offer yourself to make this a bit easier, if anything. Um, I'm trying to think about what else in terms of self-care. I mean, that's great. I really love that you said what works today might not work tomorrow or even later today. I yeah. have <laughs> I have noticed that, that making myself, because also even just dealing with the postpartum the reality of postpartum life. I mean, I feel like that's a struggle to get your routine to maintain some semblance of normalcy. And so I was making checklists for myself because I was like, if I can even check two things off of this list a day, I will at least feel like I'm not just existing in this postpartum bubble where the world is happening outside of my reality. Um, and so it was just a little thing that I could do on a daily basis, just check off two things a day. And if mm -hmm. I did more, great. Um, but then there would definitely be days, there definitely are still days. There's a day last week where I was like, I'm not even opening my checklist today. I don't want to look mm -hmm. at it. I want to think about it. Today's just a wash and like, I'm going to be mad about it and it's going to put me in a bad mood. But I, that's also what I need right now is to right. just not, I need, I need the checklist and I need the structure to just not exist right now. And I need to just be wherever I need to be today. And if that means that, the baby falls asleep while she's nursing. And that means that I'm underneath her on the couch for two hours. And that's my reality, then whatever, it's just going to be what it is, because I can't fathom the idea of trying to do anything else. Right. But right. most days are not like that. So I think that for me, at least it has been very helpful to allow myself permission to have some of those shit days and just let them also be a part of it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think a gratitude practice can be really helpful and there's so many different ways of, of engaging and it could be a gratitude journal. It could be, you know, at the end of the day, every day, it could be once a week, it could be at throughout the day, you identify what you're grateful for. And I, and I think sometimes it's as simple as like, oh, I heard a bird outside, you know, and it, that's what I woke up to. That could be what you're grateful for or some socks because your feet were cold and now they're not, you know, it could be really simple things beginning to really find those moments be really useful. I've also encouraged clients to create what I call a book of wins. So things that they feel really excited about or proud of um, that they can also reflect on later on when they're in a really tough moment can be really useful. And again, that can be as simple as, oh, I'm really excited that I've kept this plant alive for nine months. I'm really excited that I called my friend to check in to see how they were doing on a day that I was struggling too, but I could offer them support while doing my best to take care of myself. Or that on this other day, I decided that I wouldn't call anyone and that instead I would just prioritize my own needs. Whatever it looks like for you, what is it that you are feeling proud of? And, and I think documenting it can help you re have a place to revisit and, and hold it a bit more dearly. Oh, and meditation, which is, I think a lot of people have been trying. There's so many different types of meditation and there's so many apps that you can use and yes. free apps and there's videos. And so I think trying it doesn't hurt. I love my, my Budify app that I was introduced to uh, maybe six or seven years ago. So I know that there's a lot of really modern ones that I haven't tried, but it helps me fall asleep when I'm having a hard time sleeping. And if you haven't tried meditation, try it. If you tried it before and you didn't like it, try a different type of meditation yeah. it can be for four minutes it does not need to be what I think we see or maybe what you've seen in movies or tv before it's you can do you can do it while you're washing dishes you know the practice of kind of 
tuning in with yourself is what I'm referring to and tuning into your breathing or, or even the sensation of the water and the soap on your hands. And right now I'm speaking about maybe both meditation and mindfulness, but they're both practices that I think are worth exploring. There, we've noticed, so we use Headspace, which um, prior to the pandemic, we actually used as a family. We still use it as a family, but our, uh, my older daughter got a lot more out of it, I think, in in the old days, in the before times. Mm-hmm. And now she's not feeling like she's getting what she needs from it. And so we're sort of trying a different combination of like, we're still using Headspace just as a daily practice to keep some kind of consistency for her, but there's also videos. There's some great stuff, even just on Spotify. There's some great meditation recordings. It's, it is so much more accessible now, I feel like than it ever was, which, um, is awesome. And like you said, it doesn't have to be like what you see in the movies where you're like a silent monk for 10 days and you don't, you have to like sit with your incense and not move and not think about anything and just be in stillness and silence. And we've definitely, we've definitely noticed in our household too, that meditation has really been something has just been like a constant for us, which has been huge. Right. And I think one of the times that it was most useful for me, which I, which I didn't imagine would be the case, but with my older daughter at one point, I think, I think they were both screaming. I think she was throwing a fit and then the younger one was crying and I was just done. And I knew that I was not going to engage with them in a way that I would be proud of later or that was going to be helpful to them or to me. So I left them in their room and I took a break and I put on um, one of the really brief meditations about sitting with challenging feelings. And I was able to come back to them a few minutes later and take care of them in a way that I would not have been able to. So yeah, I think it helps. That's great. I like that. I like that a lot. As we wrap, I will probably ask you the most difficult question of the night, but you know, <laughs> while, while we're on difficult <laughs> subjects, we might as well just go for it, right? Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for 2021? Um, I think it would be the same advice as I have for today, which is take things one day at a time and offer yourself compassion and grace. Yep. I think that's good. I think taking it one day at a time, at least for me, has helped make everything not feel so huge and all-consuming and really as best I can just trying to focus on today or as we like to say in our household, be here now. Yes. Um, which is something we all say to each other because <laughs> we all have a tendency to go into our spirals about various different things. And we have to just be like, okay, be here now in this moment, what is needed right now? If we take everything else away, what do we need in this moment? But that's been, at least for me, very helpful with sort of quelling the the daily resting anxiety that just has become a part of life now. So I like that just one day at a time. <laughs> This has been so great. Before we leave you for the evening, is there anything that you personally want to share with the listeners? Are there any links or tips or anything specific to you that you would like people to know about? Can they reach out to you? Can they find you if they want to? Yes, absolutely. So I will share that I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, a board certified art therapist. Um, My practice is in Los Angeles. I have a group practice um, and I work with some really phenomenal clinicians that I just really admire. And yes, I'm happy to answer any questions if folks have them 
you're welcome to email me. Our email is info at takeroottherapy.com. Um, and if they need help identifying a resource, I'm happy to help them. You know, that's what I actually really love. That's how I found you. What I actually, what I really loved about um, interacting with you was just that, you know, I reached out to you based on a friend's recommendation and you guys were very upfront about the fact that most importantly, you're in a different state than I am. And so how that works with crossing state lines, et cetera, may not have been the best option for me, but you didn't just leave it at that. You, you're, I feel like your entire staff was making sure that I had what I needed as mm-hmm. far as getting, getting the right referral for my daughter. And when, even when you couldn't find something right away, you were communicative, but you also didn't just give up because I wasn't going to become a paying client. You were very much there to provide help and support, which I think is, is really baseline what the purpose of therapy should be, right? Yeah. I've been on the the end of looking for help and I know that it can be really challenging. Um, And I, I would like to make it as easy as possible. And while we can't always meet folks where they are in terms of our fee, I think trying to help them find resources or in your case, in terms of location, I think helping folks find resources is the least that we can do because life is hard enough. So if we can make it a little bit easier, why not make it a little bit easier? Yeah, I love that. This has been so great. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I I feel very honored. And um, thank you for all of this wealth of knowledge. I feel like you've just provided <laughs> so much. I need to like go back and meditate on everything that we just talked about and let it just sink into my subconscious so that I can just put it into my daily practice in one way or another and, you know, have those words in the back of my mind. Even if I don't have the ability in the moment to see them or to realize them, at least they're there, right? Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And we will make sure to link all of your stuff into the podcast notes. Sounds great. Thank you.